0: Hey, good morning, FBCO. I'm Pastor Doug, and I'm uh, not preaching this month, but I want to welcome to the pulpit today one of my dear friends, John Marshall. is going to preach for us. John has uh, he'll preach today and the end of the month, and I love John. He's a great preacher. He's been a great friend. He prays for me. He's been a great encourager to me over the years, and a uh, long time pastor at Second Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. And this is the first time I think that he's preached for us here, and I'm. Just, I'm delighted that he is. You're going to enjoy hearing him. And would you join me in giving Dr. John Marshall a warm FBCO welcome today? Thank you. Thank you. Would you turn to Matthew chapter 22, verse 34? Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. Ruthie and I are so honored to be here today. We have been friends of Doug and Vicky for 25 years. I founded the Large Church Roundtable, which gathers large church pastors from all across the country. And Doug has been a faithful attender of that all through the years. And that's how we kind of got to know each other. And then we're both Southern Baptists and our friendship has blossomed. And now I'm retired. That's a great honor to be here, to get to fill in for him while he's on the Alaskan cruise. So thank you for letting us come. This is my sweet Ruthie, Ruthie reads my text, and prays for me before I preach. So if you're at Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, we're ready. Ruthie? Yes.
1: Would you please stand for the reading of God's beautiful word? And if you're not able to stand, we sure understand, and God for sure does. These are my favorite verses in the Bible. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test Jesus. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophet depend on these two commands. Would you please pray with me? Oh, precious, dear Father. How, how dear it is to be here with your people in this place, to worship and hear, to be able to sing praises to you. And good Father, if Dr. Sees is there, Send someone to tell him that Ruth and John heard a song this morning that it's God's breath in our lungs and it took us back to when our son was born and he let out his first cry and Dr. C bless his loving, loving soul said pastor that's God's breath that's God's air In his lungs. Can someone hug him, precious Lord? Could they just tell him we will never forget? Oh, Lord, I'm sidetracked here, but thank you for these people. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for these wonderful songs and praise. Oh, thank you for the people that are standing here. Some of them I'm sure love you all the time, and some of them may be part of the time, and some of them may be really doubtful. Let their faith be strengthened this day. Let the valley that some may be in, oh, let them know, Lord, there's no valley as deep as you. We will always find you there when we need you. I pray for John as he preaches this morning that you will still his heart, give him courage, give him peace, Give him connection with you and with these people. Let the words he speaks come straight from your heart to our hearts. And Lord, make our feet not want to stand still until we can be out and about in this community and our world meeting people you put in our path. May we shine a light, the light of your love, the light of your glory, the story of your mercy and your grace and forgiveness. And dear one, we will never forget. We are never worthy, could never be, but thank you for the cross. Thank you, thank you for the cross. Amen.
0: Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Dolly. I love you, baby. There you go. All right. Ruth and I have been married 52 years. Yeah. The Jews had 613 laws based on the Old Testament. The 613th law was the law of the bird's nest. You don't kill a mother, bird, and babies at the same time. That was the bottom. The first commandment was, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Luke adds and strength. And so when Jesus was asked the question, He's just telling them what they already knew. There's only one thing. There's only one thing you need to know in first place, and that is to love God. And what Jesus is saying is, He's saying it is impossible. It is possible for you to have one thought that is so absorbing, that is so overwhelming, that all other thoughts fade away. It is possible. It is possible for you to have an obsession that is so overwhelming that all the other things just sort of fall off the table sometimes. That's what Jesus is saying about loving God. He's not talking to super saints here. He's not talking to superheroes. He's talking to you and to me, to ordinary, everyday, just common people. And he's saying, This is what it means to be a Christ follower. This is what it means to be one who loves the Lord. You love God more than anything else in the world, and you were created to do this. This is not meant to be hard. This is not meant to be something difficult. This is something that you were created to do. You have it in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're born again, the Holy Spirit is in you. You have within you dwelling that power source that can help you to love God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all of your strength. The call to be a Christian is to love God more than anything else. In the world, Jesus is reminding us that we are called to something greater than ourselves. For believers, there is only one first right thing. Are you ready for it? If somebody asks you what your purpose as a Christian, you ought to be able to answer that immediately. There should not be one hesitation. There are a lot of other things you're supposed to do. Number two, number three, number four, and down the list. There's only one. One. There's only one. Number one, and always keep it first of all, the grand purpose of life is to please and pursue God. Now, in heaven, angels around the throne say over and over again, they do not say God is love. They do not say God is faithful. They do not say God is true. In heaven... The number one trait of God, the number one most important thing about God that they say over and over again is holy, holy, holy. Now, since Hebrew is the language of heaven, Hebrew does not have qualifiers. There's no way in Hebrew to say holy, holier, holiest. So to emphasize something, you repeat it like Jesus would say, Verily, verily, I say to you, or truly, truly, I say to you. That's the way the Hebrews would do it. Well, in other words, in heaven, what the angels are saying, if they spoke English, it would be holy, holier, holiest. And the word holy means separate. It means distinct, unique. And the calling of the Christian life is to come away from this world in your heart, your mind, is shall away and you come to the distinct, unique One. You become holy on the inside, separate unto Him. And the way that you know that you are holy on the inside is you are holy on the outside. By the way you act, you cannot know you love God except by the way you act. Period. In a sentence. Your behavior matters. And because God is holy, since that's the most important trait of God... That means it's the most important trait of us. And as I have said for decades now, this has been my motto for life. This is my motto. Holiness matters most. Say it with me, please. Holiness matters most. Now say it like you mean it. Holiness matters most. You are to be holy, holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y. H-O-L-Y. Holy, holy. Completely. Totally. Inwardly. Yielding unto Him, calling unto Him, moving in that direction, resulting in an outward holiness that the world can see and you can see to yourself that you truly do love God. And to every one of you in this room, there is no exception to this rule. You were created to love God. You can do this. This is your birthright. This is who you are. You were made to love God. And when we don't do this, when we don't love God above all else, there are terrible consequences to pay. In the United States of America, one of our most powerful leaders was a man named D.L. Moody. He was a pastor in Chicago. He's the one that taught us about mass evangelism. Billy Graham, Billy Sunday, all those guys, they learned from D.L. Moody. He's got taught us how to raise money for God's work. You're in this building because of the influence of D.L. Moody. He's the one that taught us to uh, pastor to the poor. He had a church full of poor people in Chicago. He was one of the first to really have a huge church full of poor people. He taught us how to care for the poor. He taught us how to win souls. D.L. Moody, once he became a Christian, made a commitment he'd witness to somebody every day of his life, and he did. To the end of his life, folks, we're talking decades. He lived right outside of a place where there was a gathering community in Chicago where there were these gas lights and people would come and they would gather around. And every night, there were many nights he would start to go to bed and he'd remember he had witnessed someone. He'd put his clothes back on, he'd go down, and he'd witness somebody. There's never been anybody in American history like D.L. Moody. But Moody did not become a Christian until he was an adult. And one day when he was a teenager, he was out in the field hoeing corn with an old man. And suddenly the old man began to weep, just to cry. And the Moody, the teenager, he said, what's wrong? And, and so the man told him the story of his life. Years before, when the old man was young like D.L., he said he'd leave home to make his fortune. And his mama said to him, son, seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, love God more than anything else. In other words, holiness matters most. Son, seek first the kingdom of God. He couldn't care less. Took off, been gone for a while, so decided he'd go to church. Went to church, and lo and behold, the pastor preached, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And the young man kind of looked around and said, I wonder if this guy knows me. That's my mama's verse. And he was deeply moved, but he said No. He was going to do something else before he would love God first. So he left. Time went by. Decided to go to church a second time. Went to church a second time. And lo and behold, the preacher preached, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. The old man said to D.L., I was deeply moved. I could feel it. I could sense it. But I was determined to make my fortune first. And So he went off deciding not to love God first not realizing that holiness matters most. Finally, time went by. Third time, he decided to go to church. And sure enough, once again, pastor preached, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And he said to D.L., he said, I was so moved. He said, I could tell God was mightily dealing with me was the word he used. Mightily dealing with me. He said, but ever since that day, when I said no, No sermon has ever touched me again. I have no feeling, no more than that stone right there. And he took his hoe and he hit a big rock right there. Time went by. Moody, who had grown up in Massachusetts, as an adult had moved to Chicago, Illinois, became a shoe salesman. His Sunday school teacher knew he was not a Christian. And one day just before closing time, the Sunday school teacher showed up right as he was closing the door, slipped in, they locked the door, and Ed Kimball, a Sunday school teacher, led D.L. Moody to Christ. First person D.L. Moody thought of was that man in the field. First time he went back home to see his mom, he said, Hey, i got to go talk to him. And his mom said, Oh, D.L., he's gone. He'd been sent to an insane asylum. Every time anybody tries to say anything to him, all he does is point his finger and say, Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Years went by. DL was back home visiting his mom years later. And mom said, Oh, by the way, DL, he's come home to die. They sent him home. DL jumped up from the table, this man who witnessed to someone every day of his life, adult life. He jumped up from his table. He went right straight to the man's house. The man was sitting on his front porch. And DL started just pleading with him. Deal just doing his best to lead him to Christ. And all the man would say with a blank look on his face, he would look at D.L. and he'd say, Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. D.L. said, Reason had reeled and tottered from its throne, but the text was still there. God had sent that arrow down into his soul. Long years had rolled away and he could not draw it out. Listen to me. Love God first. Holiness matters most. Say it please. Holiness matters most. Say it again. Holiness matters most. It is the main lesson of life. Don't learn it the hard way. I'm 71 years old. I have now lived long enough. I've been preaching 56 years. I've now lived long enough to see firsthand the bankrupt lives of my childhood friends who chose not to love God with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. My best friend at church married an unbeliever committed a sin. He married an unbeliever and his whole adult life, his whole spiritual life has been one fat zero. My second closest friend to church committed the only triple murder in the history of my hometown. He was executed. My third good friend from church when I was a kid, he's gone through much wealth and many wives. Number four, number four, my dear friend, years later, he walked into his bedroom. And found his wife in bed with another man. He reached over and opened a drawer. He pulled out a pistol. And he killed the adulterer and sent himself to prison for life. Number five, the one that maybe hurts me the most. Mirror, mirror on the wall, she was the fairest of them all. I grew up in the slums of the town I grew up in. My daddy was a pastor to the poor. It was a rough church, rough people. I learned to curse in five when I was in third grade. as a matter of survival, and it was tough. But there was this one girl in our grade school who loved God. She was the fairest of them all. And I knew, I knew as a preacher's kid what I ought to do and what I ought to be, and I would watch her. And through those grade school years, she stayed true. But then, at the same time I started serving the Lord... She started going the other direction. And somewhere in our late teens, we crossed like this. Me moving toward God and her moving away. At our 20th class reunion, she was 38, but she looked 58. Sin had already etched its scars into her face. And if you live long enough, I guarantee you, you will have a whole mass of stories of people who chose not to love God first. Broken homes, shattered lives, smashed dreams, splintered resolutions. You be the judge. I submit for your consideration that most of the misery you see every day, not all of it, Most of the misery that you see every day is because somebody failed to obey this one command. One. Just one command. Just look around you. Just watch. You young people, you spend your lives just watching. You keep a log. You keep a register. And you will find out that people who do not believe holiness matters most, they're going to go down a path of ultimate misery you're going to see easy divorce. You're going to see cohabitation. You're going to see no sexual boundaries. You're going to see no absolutes. You're going to see absentee fathers, the number one social problem of our culture. You're going to see all kinds of things because, solely because, someone decided not to love God with her whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, now, let me tell you where this really hits the road. Now, listen to me very closely. I was taught to respect God as a young preacher. I was taught to never make Him a part of a joke. I was taught never to be disrespectful. So I'm going to tell you something now that you have to listen to every word to understand what I'm saying. Now listen to me very closely. When God is not the first love of our life, now listen to me, when God is not number one, He becomes on a functional level our antagonist. Rather than protagonist, he becomes our foe, not our friend. Our hinderer, not our helper. Because if you don't love God first, your whole life God's trying to get you to move this way or that way. And you keep thinking you're going in the ditch. And God is the one pushing you toward loving him, doing what he can. And so, in essence, God becomes your foe rather than your friend. And the result is disaster. Life gets out of kilter. It spins out of control. And everything just swirls into chaos because you forgot to love God first. And listen, life is hard enough without having God against you. You don't want to spend your life not loving God first and Him spending life pushing you and trying to get you to come in the direction He wants you to go when you're going somewhere else and you're wondering why things are not going well. Let's not compound our misery. Loving God first is so important because it is this union with Him. It is loving Him, being in love with the Lord. That's how He conveys to us the strength to live the Christian life. One of the biggest mistakes I've seen in all my years of ministry, one of the biggest mistakes is people try to live the Christian life trying to get stuff from God. God, give me love. God, give me peace. God, give me joy. Whoa, time out. Wait a minute. No. It's as if you think God puts love and joy and peace on a shelf. And you go, oh God, I need more love. Oh God, no, 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 stop it. Stop it. All the blessings and power of God come by osmosis. It is as you are one with Him. It is in the relationship that the love flows from Him to you. And you say, now Lord, give me peace. You're saying, Lord, draw me closer to you. Lord, give me joy. You're you're not saying joy is over in a vault somewhere and you've got to beg God to get it. You're saying, Lord, would you please make me so close to you that this osmosis happens, that joy flows across the fiber, the membrane between me and you. Vibrant Christian living is not as much extracted from Him as much as it is a byproduct of our loving Him. So in the ordinary routines of daily life, learn to commune. When you stop at a red light, let your mind go up to Him. When you go to bed at night, make sure the last thought of your day is Him. When you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't go back to sleep, you make sure that you make your insomnia an altar of prayer and you love Him. And in the morning, before you put your feet on the floor... You tell Jesus you love Him. You say something about your walk. You pray a prayer asking Him to make the communion sweeter, to have His love and His joy and His peace. You were created to do this. I'm not talking about something weird or something hard. You were created to do this. You were created to love God first. Above everything else, you can do this by the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Holiness matters most say it please holiness matters most say it again holiness matters most you must come to live in his presence to enjoy him and to love him we do not believe now listen to me we as christians we do not believe that words in and of themselves have magical powers We do not believe in abracadabra, please and thank you, stuff like that. Words to us, our prayers, the words that are they have power only if the words are an extension of a love that's flowing from within. If they're the surfboard on top of a wave, the words have meaning only if the love is coming. We must love God first. Our faith is in God, not in our words, not in magic. The power is in the relationship, not in what we say. And if we do not have this vital communion, if we do not have this sense at the stoplight, like I said, before you put your feet in the bed, when you wake up in the middle of the night, when you're standing in line for something, if your mind is not going up, if you don't have that sense of vital communion with God, then your words are going to rise no higher than that ceiling right there. It is the relationship that matters. It is realizing His nearness. Sensing He is close. Consciously loving Him. Knowing in your mind if someone walks up to you and says, what's the most important thing? To please pursue God. To love Him more than anything else. Holiness matters most. You know it and you get it. Now, how important is this? Let me tell you how important this is. When you became a Christian... And you finally yielded your life to do the Lord's work. Let's say you were going to lead a youth group. You're going to teach a group. you're going to Whatever you're going to do. Just something you're going to do. You're going to sing in the praise team. Whatever. whatever. You give your life to the Lord. When you first started, you were probably so scared to do it, you knew you had to depend on God. There was communion. You, you were talking to the Lord. You were praying to Him. You were saying, oh Lord, you've got to help me. But now watch this. Here's what happens. As time goes by, you stay as good as you were. You're still as good a singer. You're still as good a Sunday school teacher. You're still as good a preacher. But as time goes by, the great danger is you're not staying as close to Him as you were. You're not praying as hard as you did back then. The relationship is not as close, not as tight. And so time goes by, and this is what happens. I'm a mathematician by training. I have a college degree in mathematics. I call this I call this the triangle of grace right here. This is the triangle of grace. This is where God, by His grace, lets you continue to do well. Let you continue to succeed. But you know. You hear a sermon like this. And you know. You know that you're going down like this. This is why, really... No one ever actually falls into sin, really. It looks like they do. See, people are up here, the performance is up here, and it looks like they fall. Almost without exception, they don't fall into sin. They step, one step into sin. They go from doing things in the spirit to doing them in the flesh. And then the sin happens. When I was a young preacher, 27 years old, I arrived at a church in St. Louis, Missouri. I was young and on fire and wanted to do a great work for God. And um, there was a pastor in St. Louis who everybody knew and everybody thought was the greatest. I thought he was the greatest. I had gone to hear him preach a revival one time. My daddy had taken me to hear him preach. Well, we thought this guy was somebody. Just before I arrived in St. Louis, he had a terrible outward open sin that he might as well have taken a grenade and thrown it into the middle of his big church and blew it up. His best friend joined my church. Here <laughs> I'm a kid preacher. The best friend of this guy joined our church. A couple years went by, and he became my good friend. And finally, I felt that I could trust him enough just to ask him. And I said, Floyd, can you tell me what happened? He said, we all love this guy. He, he was our hero to all of us. What What happened? He said, yeah, I can tell you what happened, Pastor. He said, for 10 years, he "He was my pastor for 12 years. For 10 years, we'd go out to eat lunch with him, and he couldn't talk about anything but God. He talked about his study, he talked about being in the Word, and when he entered into the pulpit, fire was on him. You could just tell that this, this man was on fire for God. He said, but then the last two years, Pastor, two years, you'd take him out to eat. He wasn't talking about God much anymore. The sermons became kind of stale. They weren't the same. He said, So when he sinned to all the world, it was a huge surprise to them. But to those of us that knew him well, we had known for a long time something was wrong. See, that's the triangle of grace. Where are you on the triangle of grace? Are you here? Are you maybe here and the Lord's going to give you grace for a couple of years to keep doing well? or Are you here and maybe we're closer to disaster than we realize? Your pastor and I, if we were to make a list of the preachers that we honor the most and most valued over the years, both of us, we have in our top five, Adrian Rogers, who's pastor at Bellevue Baptist in Memphis, Tennessee, for so many years. Adrian Rogers, when he was a teenager, great football player, football star, but he knew God was calling him to preach. He could just sense the Lord was doing something in his life. And so one night after a great game he'd played, he was in the dressing room, and he couldn't even hardly concentrate to get dressed because he was so focused, so miserable, that he knew God was doing something in his life, and he, he wanted to serve the Lord and please the Lord. He was the last one to get dressed. He walked out across the field of his glory and he noticed there was no one else there. It was empty. The stadium was empty. He got to the 50-yard line and he fell on his knees and he said, "Oh God, I can't do this anymore. Please use me." So he just didn't feel like there was anything there. So he said he fell on his knees and his hands, his hands and he said, "Oh God, please use me." Nothing. He spread eagled himself on the ground, his nose on the 50-yard line. He said, oh, God, please use me. Nothing. He took his finger and he dug a hole right there in the 50-yard line. He stuck his nose in the hole and he said, God, I can't go any lower than this. Please use me. And he said he felt it then. He knew it then. God had come. God was on him. He sensed it. And Adrian Rogers became one of the greatest men we've ever known because... Not just because he was one of the greatest preachers you ever had, not because he had one of the largest churches you'd ever had, not because of what he did, but because he never got more than six inches away from his nose being in that hole. Before God, he was always humble. Before God, he was always needy. Before God, he knew it wasn't him. He knew God had to do it, and he loved God. And that's what made the difference. If you want the biblical example, I call your attention to Jacob. Jacob Jacob is my biblical counterpart. If I had to pick one person in the Bible and say, who's most like you, John? I would pick Jacob. He spent his whole life fooling people, tricking people, doing things of his own caliber, of his own mind. And so God had had it. And God said, I'm going to illustrate to him the way he's lived his whole life. And so the angel of the Lord came, a man... God, three different places, those terms are used of this person who came. That's only Jesus Christ before Bethlehem. Jacob was about to wrestle with his own descendant. and The angel of the Lord found Jacob and they wrestled all night. And Jacob did all night what he had done his whole life. Wrestling against God, not walking close to God, living down here. Doing it on his own, his own strength, in his own way. And finally in the morning, when the sun began to come up, He started to cling. He was so exhausted all he could do was hang on. Don't miss the fact that God blessed Jacob when all he could do was cling. It wasn't his wrestling that won. It was his broken heart. When he was clutching Jesus, when the love was there, he was holding on for dear life. And so the Lord, to make sure he didn't go back to his old ways, he touched him right here on the side of the hip. And for the rest of his life, Jacob was crippled. The Lord touched him right here. No, And so for the rest of his life, every time Jacob would get up and start to do something on his own strength, in his own way, of his own mind, he'd take one step. No! and Remind him, oh, that's right. I don't need to do this. Don't make God cripple you to bring you to where he wants you to be. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. He loves you. He loves you, and he made you in a way to where that you can love him, and at some point, every one of us in this room, we have to ask ourselves the question: Are we really serious about God? Is God the most important thought of my life? In those teenage years when I was coming out of the slums, of my hometown, quitting cursing, quitting being mean and fighting. And I'm trying to decide what direction am I going to go. I had choices. I had to make a decision. The one choice I had to make, was God going to be number one? Was God going to be over everything else? Was I going to love Him no matter what? Was He going to be? That, that, that is the most important question that ever enters our mind. Are we serious about God? Do we think about Him? Do we care about Him? Do we love Him? He is worthy. Or as Ruthie prayed. Ruthie has told me for years that she goes to heaven before I do, she says, John, look for me at the feet of Jesus, saying, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. He is worthy of that. He is worthy to be loved above everything else in the world. He is worthy to be followed by people who are in dead earnest about him. And this is what the best among us have done. Charles Spurgeon, the greatest Baptist pastor ever in the history of the Baptist movement, the greatest Baptist pastor ever, Charles Spurgeon said, we must pursue holiness with an agony of desire. Did you hear that? Holiness matters. Mo, say it please. Holiness matters. Mo, say it again. Holiness matters most. John Wesley said, my one aim in life, one, is to secure personal holiness. When he was a young man and he decided he was serious with God, he began spending two hours a day in private devotions, communing with the God he loved. And he wrote his mother, Leisure and I have parted company. And the biographer later said, and they never met again. One of the great privileges of my life was to stand in Scotland, the land of McChain, and pray the prayer of McChain. Lord, Make me as holy as a saved sinner can be. Ambrose, to whom we owe Augustine. Ambrose claimed if I was standing on a wall between hell and sin, I would jump into hell before I would jump into sin. How do you even think that? Where does it come from? Only from a life that is laid down. That just says, Lord, I love you more than I love me. I will love you more than sin. You made me to do this. You made me this way. I can do this. I will love you. Help me to do what you made me to do. I have it in me. The Holy Spirit is in me. Please, please, now let me do what you made me to do. Max Cato tells the story of a man who lived in an old folks home. And every day he would do his private time with an empty chair and he would say Jesus was there. And it was just a symbol to him, a reminder. Jesus is with him and Jesus was right there. As time went by, he spent more and more time by the empty chair. And when he died... When they came in and found him, his head was leaning on the chair. That's what it means to be a Christian. Don't make it complicated. Don't make it difficult. This is what it means. We were made for God. To love him with sheer pleasure, to have fun doing this with nothing held back, to obey him and serve him, no hesitation, no reservation. You were born, you were created to press all of your passion toward him. You can do this by the power of the Spirit. You can do this. He must be the main object of pursuit. Here's the essence of life if you're a believer. Holiness matters most. Say it. Holiness matters most. One more time. Holiness matters most. That's enough for today. Now let me pray for us. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, without the anointing of your Holy Spirit, this sermon is just legalism. Just pure, pure legalism. Trying to do it of our own and our own strength. But Father, but Father, this is not legalism. This is what you made us to be and to do. This is what you created us for. This is us. And you sent your Holy Spirit to live within us. To make us not only do it, but want to do it. And enjoy doing it. And celebrate doing So help us, Father. Help us, Father, to remember that your Son commanded us to love you first. And so we, we, we want to do that. We want to obey. And then help us to remember, Lord, all of our born days till we die. May the mantra. Of everyone in this room, be holiness matters most. Teach us, so holy one. You are the holy one. Holy, 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 holier, holiest. You are the one most distinct. You are the one most separate. Teach us that the most important thing is to come unto you, toward you. Teach us, Lord, because you are holy. For us, holiness matters most. And only you can do this in us. So we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.